0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Willow Center podcast. I am your host, Chase, along with Mason. We uh, both work here at the, uh, the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. This is Season 3, Episode 2, and we're going to be diving into the myth, recovery is a solo experience, sort of that lone wolfing attitude that a lot of folks uh, take into their recovery and healing journeys. With us today, we're so stoked to have uh, a couple of Willow Center alums, Chris and Matt, why don't you two go ahead and introduce yourselves.
1: My name is Chris, uh, did IOP and continued um, recovery management. Is that, but yeah, I've been coming to the Willow Center for about two years now. Um, I graduated the program that I was in and continue um, to come to the recovery management group, um, kind of self-remitting.
2: Awesome. Uh, my name is Matt um, and uh, I come here for individual therapy and I've been coming here for not quite a year yet, but uh, yeah, that's who I am.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here. We're stoked to have two guests instead of just one this time, in particular for this topic, because this topic is, is it's kind of one of those rampant myths that uh, a lot of us believe without saying so or without knowing so. It's kind of that like internal unwritten thing. We hold ourselves to these standards of trying to heal ourselves alone. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it here in a moment about why that just ain't going to work. Uh, but to start with, why don't you two give us just kind of a little bit of background on how you two met. Like, are you guys friends or are you guys just two randos?
2: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I'll go. Um, this is uh, one of my very best friends now. But uh, to be honest with you, when I first met him, I didn't really care for him too much. Uh, I don't think he cared for me either. But uh, we worked together. Uh, at a tattoo shop, uh, Chris is uh, body piercer, body mod, and I do tattoos. And uh, I met him when I uh, when I started my apprenticeship, I guess it was what 2020, about April or May of 2020. That so right. that's that's when we first met. A couple of years then, right on. Yeah.
1: What would you add? Uh, yes, there's really nothing to add to that. That's the whole story. Uh, when I first met Matt, uh, because of probably because of like the contrast in our backgrounds right I wanted nothing to do with him and he didn't really vibe with my attitude um, because of that sure right and so um, we ended up kind of getting past that Um, he's actually helped helped me learn a lot about ways to um, kind of get past preconceived notions with people and see the people so it's actually probably been one of not one of it. it's been it's been my most fruitful relationship i probably ever. Had. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I f- I figured we'll we'll probably just be doling
0: out compliments th- in rounds this entire time, but uh, we want we want to dig uh, into those topics. As far as I'm
2: concerned, so Chris doesn't like uh, being praised, but I love it. So uh, the, more, <laughs> the, the more the better with me. So uh, keep them coming. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, let's go ahead and uh, dig into this topic then. So uh, I think one of the most foundational places to start is talking about just feelings of loneliness and isolation. Cause I would wager a lot of us with lived experience in these areas feel that way at some point in our stories. So what role do you both feel loneliness or isolation plays in developing mental health struggles or
1: addiction, whoever can start it. So I talk about loneliness a lot, especially in early stages of recovery. Um, I would, so I always have this thing that I say to people when they're terrified of being by themselves right and that is that uh, how do you expect anyone want to want to spend time with you if you don't want to spend time with yourself mm. so I think learning to cope with loneliness and become comfortable with yourself are quintessential parts of the process um, but, but to that point I, I probably and, and Matt here actually harasses me about this a lot um, I isolate a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, which is unhealthy, right? To close yourself off from the world. So I think it's kind of um, one of those things where there's definitely a lot of power, right? In embracing and overcoming loneliness and learning to accept who you are and be happy being by yourself. Because one of the big things that people struggle with early on is people, places, and things. I mean, you struggle with that kind of in the perpetuity of, of your situation, but, um, that, that drive to be around people regardless of if they are good or bad for your mm-hmm. life to, to stave off loneliness is, is really prevalent in the community. And I think that while this is very much a, like a joint venture, you should, you should be connecting with people because the opposite of addiction is connection. Um, I do think in early stages of recovery, it's it's super important to learn to deal with that.
3: Yeah. It, and it, I think that you hit on two interesting points there. You hit on like early and late stage recovery. In early recovery, you run into this like need for connection and changing your people, places, and things and finding those good connections. And then I would say later in the recovery, you do have to have this kind of acceptance like okay well my people places and things have changed but now i still have loneliness no matter what there is some form of it and so there's the coping with it as well as the changing so yeah what would you add to that matt
2: well so for me um and, and chris and i have talked about this before so um you know, I spent 65 months in prison, which is uh, the ultimate form of being isolated. Yeah. Um, and it is a an environment in which you are very much not alone, but I would argue the loneliest place on the planet. Mm. Um, so the thing is, is that what I, what I learned from that experience is um, loneliness is not always a bad thing if you're able to manage that time in a productive way, right? So I use the lonely time or the me time for self-reflection and to ask myself some questions about myself and you nice. know, what, what must it be like to be my friend? What must it be like to be my child or my mate? Or uh, how do my parents feel about me? Or how do my brothers feel about me? And things like that. Um, while looking around a room full of people who I had absolutely no desire to connect with and no connection with. So the thing is, is that when I came home, what I craved was that connection. I mean, that's why we're all here, right? That human right. connection. So I realized that after spending that time with myself and really getting to know myself and being honest with myself, I was ready for meaningful connections. And I was able to um, force myself on people like Chris, uh, you know, who had created his own isolation and prison for himself. So mine was a literal prison, and Chris's prison was in his mind. And he had had put up walls and bars that I don't even think he was aware of. And we were, because of the fact that we both did that, literal and figuratively, we can now relate to each other as far as being in prison, as far as being isolated and surrounded by people um, that we don't have a connection with and picking out those we want to have a connection with. So the thing is, is that while I know nothing about being in recovery, or having that type of, of addiction. Um, I do know some of the feelings that go along with that type of thing and and being able for us to connect those dots allowed me to then jump in with him on the recovery side and let him know, you know, when I was in prison I heard I never met anyone who was addicted to anything. I didn't have friends that were. Mm -hmm. I didn't have family that was. And I heard all these stories in prison from all these guys telling me about all this stuff. And all of their stories ended the same way. I'm so sorry and I regret so much what I've done to myself and my family and how I treated people. And they were genuinely sorry. And the thing is, is that I I feel like anyone that's in recovery uh, or has an addiction issue... That thinks that they don't need to talk to someone or need someone to support them or prop them up, um, that is a form of putting yourself in prison. And yeah. it's so, a the powerful thing, metaphor. Yeah. So the thing is, is that uh, you know um, what we look forward to in prison is our out day. So I would I would encourage people that are in recovery to look forward to their out day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and I think that is that's possible through that meaningful connection uh, with others and and those those friendships and uh, kind of finding some common area where you think someone maybe doesn't understand because they've never went through what you've went through. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've all had common struggles and common things like that. And I think that's where Chris and I started to find that common ground. Once we, once we had that open dialogue with each other.
3: Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think that there's this, um, there's this lone like you started out talking about coping with the loneliness, which you do have to cope with. And there is, a sense of that, but then you kind of ended out talking about the need for connection.
1: But one of the things that he pointed out um, that I think is really important, there's, there's this myth, right, that people in recovery and people who suffer from addiction can only connect with and grow with people who are similarly afflicted. Yeah, mm. And I think that is a crock of s*** um, because Matt is not addicted or cross-addicted right he does not suffer the same mental maladies that i do and the obsession to destroy his life through substance abuse the way that i do yeah which is inconsequential as far as my friends in recovery that i have this person who's not quote unquote in recovery is probably the most knowledgeable and useful recovery friend that I have. I love that. And that's because our experiences
2: once again you are welcome. (laughs) Eat that praise up.
1: You can't see there's a mirror in the room and he's been looking at himself the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the the thing is is that what we suffer from is mental health issues. Yeah. Issues of, of the mind and the self. And one of the things that he pointed out was using loneliness and using that time to self-reflect and become introspective. And I think that that is a very important thing that we have a skill that we have to obtain Mm -hmm. um, that most people don't because they, they fear that loneliness and that's kind of where that, that coping comes in. But yeah, anyway, I kind of digress. The point I was trying to make is that if you open yourself up to experiences and connecting with people from all walks of life, you realize that we're not as terminally unique as we think we are. Yeah. That these experiences aren't, solely mine Mm -hmm. but many people's so much so that somebody who's not in recovery from addiction right is in recovery of the self right and the problems are the same the solutions are the same the com the commentary is the same Um, it's one of the reasons why i was really excited about doing this
0: yeah i love that i mean what i hear you both kind of hinting at is that there's sort of like two intersecting spectrums, right? There's a spectrum of feeling lonely and being actually lonely and being okay with being alone. And then there's a spectrum of like recovery or healing experience. And those two spectrums intersect with each other in a way that I think is really quite unique, but most especially in the way that it's illustrated itself in your guys' friendship. Right, and here's
2: the thing, we can sit around and be afraid of being lonely, right? Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is that, um, you know, I think that comes from a lack of trust, too, like trusting, you know, trusting ourselves and trusting others. So the thing is, is it, you know, trust and vitality versus fear and morbidity, right? One's not easier than the other. They're both equally as difficult. But yeah. the thing is, one is better. And mm-hmm. so the thing is, is that why not just go ahead and try to trust someone and have some vitality? And the thing is, is that if you're choosing that, versus the alternative, which is fear and morbidity, um, you're doing yourself a favor by putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that we're all afraid of, of getting hurt and, and things like that. But the thing is, is that, you know, we, we all know the human experience is, is pain, uncertainty, constant work. All of us have that, right. whether you're in recovery or not. Every single person has that. So the thing is, is that if you start there and you meet somebody who's in recovery, and you, you hear their story and you listen to them, you will start to see and hear yourself and their story, even though the, the, the symptom and the, the cause is not the same, Right. the, the human part of it is. And mm-hmm. so that's where I feel like Chris and I have connected so much, just on that human level of a shared experience of something that was kind of shitty. You know right what i mean and so then just starting there and then and and then developing like i said you know it's it's not chris's job to get me to trust him it's not my job to get chris to trust me but we show each other through our actions and our words and our consistency that that's there and as that develops and that that friendship becomes stronger and you start to share with each other you just you realize that you're you have way more in common than you do different
3: yeah our um our founder, uh, Ashley, says something very similar. Uh, the way she puts it is, "Choose your hard." And so it's hard to be,, you know, isolated, and it's hard to like, you know, use substances and continually isolate yourself, but it's also hard to, you know, put yourself out there and trust others. Both are difficult. Both are difficult things, but you choose, you choose every day, you know, which one you're going to do? I was literally
1: baking on the car ride here. About that, about that trust piece that that we're illustrating now. Um, the the thing is, is that when I think back on on who I was versus who I am, there's there's a a pretty good through line that has a lot to do with trust and not trusting people. And I mm-hmm. still, to this day, struggle tremendously with trust. Yeah. Um, if you asked me six months ago if I
2: trusted this man, I would tell you, you know, a little. Yeah. Right? Well, that that's interesting because about seven months ago, I told you something really important. So we're gonna have to talk about. Well, I was trying to nail that
1: time frame. Was it seven months? Okay. <laughs> so if you
2: asked me eight months
1: ago, I'd say, yeah, not so much. Or well, not. That's overstating how little. Oh, sure. A little bit, right? Enough to connect, right? But because of my own personal experiences and everything, it took a it took a moment of sharing from him to me. Um, that made me realize just how bad of a friend I was being mm-hmm. while being an excellent friend. But I had constructed this, this situation in which I don't trust you. So I'm going to keep your, your mind. we're close, yeah. but you're still, you're definitely out here. You don't know shit about me. Right. Right. You don't know anything. I mean, we had known each other for over a year and my brother and sister came to the shop to do something. And he was like, you have a fucking brother and sister.
0: You know, and yep. that's,
1: and that's, those are the walls that he was talking about that you don't even realize you have constructed. Right. And, you know, so what the, the thought when I was driving up here was, is like how sad that is, you know, because having that fear to open yourself up and, and let people inside and trust them is incredibly isolating and self-cannibalizing, right? Right. You just sit there and you just shut yourself off from everything. I mean, this is one of my closest friends. Right. Um, really, he is my closest friend. And it took a very huge moment for him for me to make it about myself <laughs> and realize that i wasn't there was no reciprocity yeah in that kind of part of our of our friendship
0: right so friendship I'm, takes it's a, it's a two-way street right and it takes this element of vulnerability that you guys are getting after to build that trust trust is a vulnerable thing so like if you had to like boil it down like if you had to just answer it with a simple yes or no can you find healing alone
1: Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> that is yeah, a very simple question, no.
0: So what what about those of us that are stuck in that? Whether whether it's one end of the spectrum where we we hate ourselves and we're isolating intentionally, or that's the other end of the spectrum where we're trying to do trying to do better, but this vulnerability issue and this trust issue is just it's just a hard barrier to get over. Regardless of what end of that spectrum you are, like how how quickly for each of you did that sort of lone wolf charade break in your stories? Well,
2: for, for me, uh, when I went to prison, it broke immediately. <laughs> I'd say on the bus ride there. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, so the thing is, is that my advice to people, and all right, so I'm gonna quantify this after I say it, right? Uh, get over yourself. Mm. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is, here's the thing, man. You're you're making shit up in your head. You're making stuff harder than it has to be. And I know a lot of people say, "Oh, that's easy for you to say." Uh, no, it's just true. Yeah, and so the usually thing, the true stuff is hardest, yeah, right? The thing is, and I've told Chris to do this, and I don't think he's done it yet. But I I, I did it a long time ago. The thing is, if you if if you can't get over yourself, go in the bathroom, look in the mirror, and tell yourself that you forgive yourself. Mm. And, oh, I can't get there yet. Oh, it's not that easy. Uh, yeah, it really is that easy. And I promise you when you do it, and if you mean it, a huge weight will be lifted off it. You'll probably start giggling. That's what I did. I started laughing. <laughs> I felt so great about it. And so the thing is, is that uh, I think I'm awesome. Like, I love myself. And the thing is, is that that's why I know I can have meaningful connections with people. And I can, I can show them that about me. And the thing is, is that uh, man, I want that for everybody. Right. And to be honest with you, I mean, I'm not, you know, a psychiatrist, psychologist, or anything, but I can tell you this: I'm a human being, and I can, and I'm, I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. It is literally that easy.
0: I love it really that. Is. And for those who aren't in the room, you can't see that. <laughs> Matt is not like this arrogant a-hole type like he's not yeah. saying that out of like confidence. He's saying he thinks he's awesome out of a genuine care yeah. for self-personhood, which I think is hard to establish in in you know, an early healing journey in mental health or an early recovery because a lot of that sort of remaining self-hatred lingers for so long.
1: The first time he ever caught me off guard, first of many times he ever caught me off guard, he was showing me some art and as we were flipping through it he stopped and said, "Look how and badass that is. Yeah. And I was like, who the f are you, man? Like who, n- artists don't talk about their art like that? Yeah. That's not what they do. I personally set my own stuff on fire in the yard because that's what, you know, that makes more sense, right? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Two ends of the same spectrum. Yeah, right, right. And but it it really caught me off guard to hear somebody speak of themselves and their abilities in such a confident
3: self-admirable, Nicole. yes.
0: But he's proud of himself,
3: you know. There's yeah. A,
0: yeah. A,
1: a, a and he really is not as much of a douche as he sounds like when he says <laughs> that. It's actually... It's actually <laughs> you have to be here. You have to, be, right. you have to see him. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, I actually... I make, so I make that, that douche joke, right? Because what I want to do is I want to pay him a compliment. It's probably the most admirable one of many admirable qualities that I have been able to try and scrape off and get for myself. Yeah. Um, so much so that everybody in his circle constantly harasses him about it. It doesn't stop him from doing it. It's, it's, it's honestly... Everything he just said is, is important. Right. Like, so much so that like, I, I force myself, right, to listen to those words. And I struggle with it daily because I always say nobody hates me the way I do. Mm. Right. It's, it's yeah. impossible for you to cause me the harm that I cause myself. Right. Because I'm a monster, right? I'm a piece of shit. I'm horrible.
0: At least those are the things we end up telling ourselves, yes, when, especially up. when we're in that sort of yeah. Yeah,
2: negative cycle. Yeah, And here's the thing real quick. So I, I kind of mentioned this to Chase earlier. Um, you know, Chris has said that kind of stuff about, you know, who he thinks he is or who he used to be or whatever. Right. And like I told him, like, that's incredibly insulting to me. For you to say that because I don't hang out with those types of people and I don't associate with those types of people and the thing is is I see who you really are I see how you really are and the thing is is if you could step out just for a second and spend the day like I do watching you interact with people and carrying yourself and the things that you do you would never say that about yourself ever again and the thing is I don't I don't I don't want those type of people in my life and there's nothing about Chris that I don't want in my life so the thing is, is that those things are not true. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, this, and I told him this before, this uh, recovery program has done absolutely nothing to change Chris. What it has done is allow Chris to be who he's always been. Mm, I, love I love that. Him. And, and so the thing is, is that, you know, he he has this problem with, with self-praise or with people praising him or whatever. And I always what I always say, man, who do you think you're not? You know what I mean? And the thing is, don't take that away from people. Like, people want to come to a cool body piercer. They want their body piercer to be Chris. He's, he's, a, he's a cool dude. He's knowledgeable. He's skilled. He's all these cool things. And, you know, he wants to tell people, oh, I'm just a regular guy. Not to them you're not. You're a rock star. And the thing is, don't steal that from them. And don't steal that from your friends. Don't steal that from your family. If your people think that you're a rock star, let them think you're a rock star because there's a reason they think that. You know what I mean? Don't take that from them, and certainly don't take it from
3: yourself. I, I think that's a great point. Like try to see, trying to see it from their eyes. Thank you, by the way. I think that's a great point, also. <laughs> <laughs> you, you try to see it from from their eyes, and because when we start to get too much pride in ourselves and in our abilities, then that starts to feel like a oh, weight. All of these, like, there's so many expectations on me, but that's not an expectation. Is people think you're great. And you can, when you see yourself like that, it's not like, oh, I have to, be, I have so much pressure to be great. It's no, they love and care about me and I can do that for myself. Right. I'm curious if you think there are like, I guess certain, ty- so we're talking about all these, like there are types of people, you know, like the, you are, where there's these ends of the spectrum of like, okay, like isolation, non-isolation. Do you think there's a certain type of person who's prone to try to cover, recover alone or heal alone?
2: So I, I don't I don't think I'm qualified to answer this question, um, but w- what I would say is um, I think that you know history of if that person has that type of behavior before, mm. um, there's no reason why it wouldn't continue. Yeah. You know when they're struggling with one of the most difficult things that they've ever struggled with in their, in their life, and I, I this is what I always say. So when somebody's at their lowest. And you're you're done with them, and you think that they're not worth it anymore. That's not the time to turn your back. That's the time to wrap your arms around them. So, the thing is, is that I would say um, that if 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 history is shown, or if you're able to see that in somebody, then that's the type of person you really gotta really reach out to. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, if anybody out there is listening that does that, like, don't do that. Um, you know what I mean? Like, you're you're You have the support you have the people Uh, you you can't do it alone you shouldn't do it alone the thing is is that there's nothing fun that you can do alone (laughs) Um, yeah the type of person do if I had to think of the type
1: of person that would probably do something like that right it's probably the person that needs to not do that the most Mm. Um, it's probably the type of person who has been in their personal experience taken advantage of um, let down hurt yeah. by people by exposing parts of themselves and having those parts of themselves used against them. Right. So they feel that when they go on this journey and have to get very real and very honest and very open and you're going to expose that to people, you don't want to. Right. right? What you want to do is you want to get your books, get your therapist, go hide inside of your house and do that for yourself because if nobody knows, right, nobody can use it. Nobody can weaponize that against you. So I think the type of person that's going to try it alone is the type of person who desperately needs not to. And the reason why I know that is because I'm that type of person.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, so if you if you would say that out loud or think that, then you're definitely probably the type of person that needs the exact opposite of that right. to happen. Exactly.
0: I think something I've seen too is like, Like the folks that um, oftentimes in like a social circle play the role of provider, you know, the type of person I'm talking about, like the person where it's like, oh, I always go to that dude, like regardless of what they're facing, I always go to that dude for advice or and I always go talk to him or her or them. And it's like that person who is playing the carer, the carer role in all of their relationships, but may or may not have somebody playing that role for them. I think it's so incredibly
2: prone to this. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, I that's, and that's exactly who I am. Yeah. Um, that, and, and,
2: like a super independent.
1: Yeah, hyper-independent person. Hyper-independent person. Yeah, because you, you tend to shoulder everything, provide everything, and then go home empty-handed.
3: Right. And it's, and it's kind of comfortable. It, that way. Yeah. And I think you gave the perfect example of that earlier, where you have Ma- Matt on your outer walls and in his mind you guys are like the closest friends ever you know like 8 months ago that's like when that happened right and so it's like and so many times for that provider person it's like oh all these people feel so close to me but to me they're just like you know acquaintances, acquaintances. Yeah. well you know what
1: the you know what the fear is right the fear is is if if that paradigm shifts right if i'm the one who's coming to you and telling you about my problems and struggles and you're now providing the care that I provide you, then it, it degradates the quality of the care that I was providing you in the first place because I mm. need it myself, right? Yeah. Because I'm feeling like I'm pathetic or less than or not strong because I have to succumb and say, I need some can help too right right and something that i've learned and and i combat this and i talk about this a lot with men's groups or iops that i've gone to or any speaking engagement i go to i always try to bring up the concepts of toxic masculinity and what that really is yeah um and that so something that i used to do and a lot of men do is i used to walk around and i was i was was a kind person right but i was a violent person Mm. right um If you crossed me, it wouldn't go well for you, right? If you criticized me, it probably wouldn't go well for you. Yeah. Um, And what I was doing is I was trying to protect the person that I really am because I viewed the person I really am as pathetic Mm. and weak. And now that I'm here, right, now that I've arrived at this point, I now see the incomparable strength of the person I really am, the kindness, the caring, the reciprocity. I, I see that for what it is, and I see... Just how that protective ego barrier that I used to walk around it and cling to, right? The get up, dust it off, don't cry, right. Be a man, don't be a. Bitch. I see how weak that was because it was. yeah, it was truly weak because I was terrified of who
3: of who I was, and I was terrified of that person, this person being hurt,
0: yeah, yeah
3: and you to kind of get back to this idea of like choosing, You're hard choosing what's going to be difficult. It's difficult to put on, you know, this layer of spikes and become a cactus because you don't you never have that connection. But it's just as difficult to take those off and let people in. And so to kind of, I guess, land the plane in these last few minutes, I'll let I'll let Chase kind of.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's make it practical, right? For those who are tuning in who find themselves somewhere on this spectrum of either perceived isolation or intentional isolation. Like, what, what advice would you give to them? Whether it's advice to someone who thinks they can do it alone, like the person we were just talking about, or someone who just feels like nobody cares. Either, either way, maybe each of you could speak to one of those sides of the spectrum. Just what practical advice or what encouragement would you give them to take the best next steps to connecting?
1: So both sides of that are so, are so important, right? Because opening yourself up and allowing people to care for you is terrifying but powerful because so especially when you've done nothing but take care of yourself yeah right you fought all your battles you've defended yourself it's always been you right the the feeling when other people do that for you because they care about you and they value you um, is incredible it's terrifying feels like a burden right Um, but it's the best burden you could ever have Yeah. you know it's it's so cumbersome, right, to have all of these people care about you and be there for you because then you can't turtle up and go hide in your cave and mm-hmm. be miserable on your own and not heal or move forward in your life. So as far as advice, I mean, the best thing that I could probably say, right, is to not do the cactus thing Yeah. Right? because there was one thing I could go back and tell me in, in varying stages of my life, right, it, it always kind of comes back to the same thing, right? Like I always look back, you know, I was making those comments where you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a piece of shit. I'm a monster, I'm this, I'm this, and this, So that was what I used to rehearse psychologically, right? Right. So I wasn't those things, I was sick. Yeah. Right? And to avoid any cheesy, it get better stuff, because to me that feels very disingenuous. Um, I wish I knew that it was okay to feel things. Yeah. I wish I knew it was okay to feel things from people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have your cactus suit on, nobody can hug you and tell you that it will be okay because right. you need to know that it will be okay. Um, you need to allow people on the inside. People care about you. you. You don't care about you, so you're projecting that into your environment. Right. Right. You are manifesting this ill will towards yourself because <coughs> it's how you feel in the first place. So just be willing to to allow people to give a s*** about you and
2: express that.
0: Yeah, I love that. What would you add, Matt?
2: I would say, this is, again, probably going to make me sound like, you know. Um, be honest, man. Like, yeah. here's the thing. Be honest with yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, you really don't hate yourself. Uh, you really don't want people to hate you. You don't want to isolate. Like, you don't really want to do those things. Right. Right. I get there might be some insinuating circumstance extenuating circumstances uh, that might push you that way or whatever but ultimately like none of us want that right so I would change you know uh, with all due respect to Ashley I wouldn't say choose your heart I'd say choose your better you know and so the Mm -hmm. thing is is it just seems like a more positive way to look at it Um, all of us all of us need that human connection uh, all of us want it. We crave it. The thing is is that you have to be honest and so that, my the best advice that I can give to anybody is Get real get real with yourself get real with the people around you and be honest and uh, You know, I mean vulnerability and courage is exact same thing, right? The thing is is that uh, the definition of vulnerability is showing up for life and not knowing what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. But that takes courage. So be honest and courageous. That's my best advice.
0: Love that. Fellas, thank you both so much for sharing your story and your wisdom, your experience. I think this is going to be a huge encouragement for our listeners. And
2: Yeah, and here's the thing. I want to add this too. If people out there are wondering, like, if people care about them or whatever, or why would The reason we're doing this is because we care. Yeah. There's literally four people sitting in this room that care about complete strangers that are going through these things enough to sit here and take the time to do this because we care. Right. So I don't think you're ever going to have a shortage of finding people who care. Uh, Let them. Yeah, man. Just let them. Amen to all of that. Well,
0: if you, uh, if you're feeling particularly alone, if you're feeling um, put upon or if you're feeling like you don't have someone or you don't know where to look, by all means, please, please give us a call. You can call us at 317-852-3690. The Willow Center will come alongside you. Our team is ready to help, and we got a team of fantastic alumni here that would love to befriend you as well. So know that you're not alone, and know that you can't do it alone either if you're on that opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, you need connection to heal and to recover. Uh, next month, uh, for episode three of season three, we're going to be diving into the myth that recurrence is always or inevitably part of recovery. We're going to ta- be talking about um, recurrent use in more detail um, with uh, one, of our, one of our very own therapists here at the Willis Center as a matter of fact, as our guest, just talking about some of the clinical aspects of that, and um, uh, as well as resourcing and getting you the resources you need to help prevent recurrent use. So thank you guys for listening. Again, I've been your host. This is Chase, and this is Mason. We're here at the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. The Willow Center Podcast. Catch you next month.